From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 High FM Travels with Kate. A very good afternoon to you. Lots coming up in the program today. But you may remember that last week we talked about Bob the Turtle. Uh, if you remember the story, Bob the Turtle had been living and being uh, rehabilitated for eight years in the Two Oceans Aquarium. And long, long story short, they finally let him free. And they have a newsletter they put out every week. And Bob has officially entered the very deep blue sea. You may remember... Uh, Helen Lockhart from the aquarium was telling us he'd be swim- he'd been swimming along the Agullas Bank, which is where, of course, the Atlantic, the Indian, and the Southern Oceans converge. And why was she doing that? Because there's lots of food, apparently very rich in nutrients and loads of fish there. Anyway, they were very concerned about him going off into the deep, deep ocean, but off. Bob has gone. So after two and a half thousand kilometers since they released him in KwaZulu-Natal, 48 days of traveling along that continental shelf, he's finally gone into really deep, deep waters. And they're tracking him. They've actually got a satellite tag um, that actually has a limited lifespan, so that can only last for two years, so they're hoping it will last for two years. But what they do have, they, he has an acoustic tag, and I'm not very scientific, but I gather uh, a two, uh, acoustic tag, let me get this right. Acoustic tagging. There are like little acoustic stations in the sea uh, along the coast. So every time Bob actually goes past one of those, they can pick up uh, where he is. And the battery life of those apparently, 10 years. So with any luck, Bob uh, turtles live till about 60 or 70. With any luck, he'll keep going because it's such a, a, a wonderful, warm-hearted success story. I mean, who could ever think we'd get interested in a turtle? Mind you, many moons ago, I was on a beach in KwaZulu-Natal with a friend from America and the turtle expert. We go down on the beach. It was a full moon. And there were like these tractor marks in the sand. And I said to Andy, the expert, but what are those? He said, you have no idea how lucky you are. This 
enormous leatherback turtle had dragged herself up from the sea, had dug a hole and was laying her eggs. Leatherback turtles, let me tell you, are so huge, four of us could have sat on her back. And she goes into a trance when she lays, so you can touch her, she's oblivious to anything. And then these, the eggs are like shining golf balls. She's dug this deep, 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 deep hole. She lays the eggs. How clever is nature? The first eggs she lays are the really good ones. By the time she's filled the hole up with maybe a hundred eggs, the ones at the top aren't as healthy. Maybe they're a bit fraught. Why? Because when the crabs and the uh, the jackals and the seabirds raid the nest, they only get the bad stuff. They don't get all those good eggs underneath. And a few months later, I was lucky enough to see the hatchlings hatch. But I'll tell you about that another time. Anyway, our Bob, the turtle, doing well in the deep, deep ocean, and let's hope he keeps going. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart. The adventure starts here. 101.9, Kate Turkington, Bob the Turtle. We're going to stay in the Cape. I just want to tell you, I was staying at the most amazing hotel called the Sky Villa Boutique Hotel. It's high up on the hill in Plettenberg Bay. Why is it so special? Because it's got 360-degree views over the mountains and the sea. So if ever you're in Cape Town, maybe you won't be staying there, but really go up and have a meal there because they have a brilliant chef who does all kinds of regular dishes and some new dishes that he himself has invented. Well, after I was in that particular destination, I did, and I think I mentioned it to you briefly, I did a bit of the Robberg hike. But if you are ever in Plettenberg Bay, you really have got to do that. Even if you're not into walking, you really don't want to miss the experience. And then you can brag about it to your family and your friends and your uh, colleagues. So whether you're a couch potato, whether you're moderately fit or you're a fitness addict, uh, with 50 rand in your pocket, I think it's still only 50 rand, it's not much more. It's one of the world's most beautiful hikes. That's not a hyperbole, it really is, and it's advertised as one of the world's most beautiful trail. So it's just eight kilometers from Plettenberg Bay, 
uh, itself. Take yourself to the Robert Nature Reserve, a marine protected area. And by the way, it's also a World Heritage Site and a National Monument. So, are you ready to go? There are three circular trails. There's a two-kilometre trail, a five-kilometre trail, and a nine-kilometre trail. The first two-kilometre trail takes you to the gap. It takes about uh, an hour. It's classified as easy, but let me tell you, you do need to be steady on your pins because there are a couple of stretches of boardwalk that you'll be clambering up and downhill and also you'll be on some narrow tracks over rocks and small boulders. I mean, you've got the fine boss, you've got the fragrance of the fame boss all around you and there are no handrails, uh, by the way. So don't wear flip-flops for even the shortest trail. Wear, wear comfortable uh, walking uh, shoes, but the whole family can do this. So that's very special. You can take the kids. You can take uh, Granny Anne, Grandpa. You can take the uh, whole family uh, there. And also, there are benches along the way where you can actually just take a breather and take in the spectacular. Views. Take water. I think always take water with you, whatever kind of hike you're doing, because you know what the Cape's like. It's four seasons in one day, so you don't know what might uh, blow up. So always have have water. Now, the next trail is the five-kilometre trail. That takes about three hours. That's to the island. And it, it's it's family-friendly if you're reasonably fit. I saw lots of uh, kids doing that. And you can climb down from the trail to those glorious golden beaches. So take a picnic with you, or you can paddle there, or if it's a good day, uh, you can swim. And, of course, the kids, the teenagers, love it. Well, the grown-ups love it, too, because you can slide down the sand dunes. So a really, really nice thing. Get the teenagers away from their phones and their iPads and their laptops and everything else. Get them out into the open air. It's a very, very special uh, hike. The total round trip, now you need to be very fit for this, people. It's nine kilometres, takes four to five hours, maybe longer. Uh, I was doing the trail with a party of fairly fit young journalists. They took half a day to do that uh, nine-kilometre trip. But it takes you right round the uh, peninsula to the point. And it gets very strenuous, they said, when you go over uh, the dunes, but apparently worth every uh, minute. And remember, there's no fountains or taps on the trails. As I said, that bottle of water is essential and your comfortable walking shoes and sunscreen. Sorry to sound like your mother or your granny, but just reminding you, always put sunscreen on and preferably a hat because plet weather can be very, very uh, unpredictable. And don't, whatever you do, be tempted to take uh, shortcuts because you could end up in a mountain rescue uh, situation. So you've, you'll have dramatic views of Plettenberg Bay with the city calmer mountains in the distance. 
whatever, whatever trail you do. And there are orange-coloured rocks. Um, some of them are over a 100 million years old. Tower over you. Wonderful botanical plants and flowers uh, everywhere. Gulls, birds. And obviously, in season, keep your eyes open for whales. Brides whales, though, are here all year long, as are dolphins and sharks. And it's between May and September you can spot the southern right whales that come to uh, meet. I went off after Plattenberg Bay to one of my favourite places, which is the crew. And I know the crew is huge, and there's so many places to go to. But I went to a wonderful, welcoming, friendly place called Zierku. Sorry for pronunciation, Zierku. Uh, guest house, sea cour, of course means sea cow, hippos. Lovely, lovely set of cottages just outside Otsona, as I say, in the heart of the crew. You'll stay in a little stone cottage, gorgeous uh, views. You'll see lots of international guests there as well as lots of uh, local guests can do all kinds of things. You can go cycling. They've got cy cycles there for you. If there's not a drought. If the river is flowing, you can go uh, canoeing. You certainly can have a picnic by the river or you can go stargazing. But, 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 the thing you have to do is to go and see the meerkats. You remember that television series, Meerkat Manor? Well, this was made in the uh, vicinity. So you can go on a lovely trip from the lodge. You get up at dawn. Off you go into the crew, those beautiful crew dawns, and the, the researchers will be waiting for you. You drive to a place where they know the meerkats have got burrows. Meerkats do change their burrows quite often, so they will have found out where this particular family has its latest burrow. They organize camping chairs for you, and about Eight or nine of us sat in a semicircle in that crude dawn watching the burrow. And sure enough, out of the burrow, as the first rays of dawn began to strike the desert, out popped a little head. And out came, first of all, one meerkat. He's the kind of, I don't know if he's the lead or the scout, but he did his meerkat yoga. Oh my word, he stretched his paws, he stretched his back, you know, I really need to have a stretch after my night in the burrow with all this other lot. So he does his meerkat uh, yoga, and then out come all the other meerkats and they sit there they do their yoga too but they sit there then and they warm themselves up in the sun uh, they do a bit of personal grooming they have a bit of communication uh, with each other and we must have sat with them for about half an hour 40 minutes and then whoops whoosh they've gone to forage in the desert but oh my word what's an unforgettable experience watching meerkats in a crew dawn from the highest mountains to the bluest seas the driest deserts to the icy poles kate turkington has traveled there 
And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. Good afternoon once again, Hi, 101.9, it's Kate Turkington, and we're talking about something now that's going to change all our lives. Listen to this. Microsoft founder Bill Gates says that the development of artificial intelligence, AI, is the most important technological advance in decades. In a recent blog post, he called it as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone. And I quote, it will change the way people work, learn, travel, get healthcare, and communicate with each other, unquote. And he was writing about the technology used by tools such as Chatbot, ChatGPT, which is a chatbot program to answer questions online using natural human-like language. Well, joining us this afternoon is Richard Frank, Chief Technology Officer from Flow Communications. Welcome, Richard. Nice to be here. Now, can you define AI for us in layperson terms, please? Well, um I think what I'd like to start with is is, is Chat GPT itself, um, because uh, there's been a lot of buzz and a lot of uh, information out there about the uh, this amazing uh, Chat uh, GPT tool. And what's really important to understand is that it's a pre-trained model. Okay, so it's uh, it's been built with over 45 terabytes of data from the internet, Wikipedia, um, public domain websites, pretty much every book ever written, Kate, is in, uh, in chat GPT. And it's been trained by humans. So, um, it's, it, what, what happened is they took all this content and then they got humans to test the content and make sure it was accurate and that bad stuff was thrown out of it. And this was developed as chat GPT. And it's really taken the world by storm because for the first time, we're able to communicate with an uh, a, a, a artificial um, intelligent um, um, uh, tool uh, in a way that we understand in using a common language. Um, so chatting to it, in effect. Um, so it's been amazing. I'm going to the website. If you've got a pen or pencil handy, it's very, very easy. Chat dot open ai dot com chat dot 
openai.com. And let me just tell you, just before I started talking to Richard from Flow, I I asked it, I went onto the website and I said, please can you give me some ideas for a 50th birthday party? My word, in no time at all, 10 ideas came up on my screen for a 50th birthday party. So, Richard, let, let's start maybe with work. How's it going yeah. to change our work? It's already changing our work substantially. At, at Flow Communications, for instance, we're a marketing and communications company. Um, we are using uh, ChatGPT and some of the other AR models uh, to help us with our work on a daily basis. So, for example, I'm a web developer, I'm a coder, I'm a technologist, and I use a, a AI-powered software development program in order to write code. And what I've found is that I'm writing 30 to 40% of the code that I'm writing to build things like websites and mobile apps is being generated by uh, by the artificial intelligence tool that I'm using. But it extends from software development to design. We're using it for a generation of, 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 of images. Um, we are using it in content as well in order to develop, you know, great ideas for content and sometimes even write the content. But I must say we're a little bit disappointed with the, with the, with, with the content that comes back from, from, from chat GPT, for instance. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit boring in the way that it writes, but we can only imagine that it's going to improve over time. So, yeah, it's changing the way that we're working as a communications company, but I think it also extends into other other areas as well. Um, you know, you could I don't think there's any industry that is going to be unaffected by um, this artificial intelligence uh, boom. Now, just playing devil's advocate for a moment, is it going to make us all lazy? If I'm a student, for example, and I go on to chat GPT and I say, please write me a 500-word essay on Shakespeare, let's say, it'll do it. Why should I bother doing all the research? I think the same question was asked when Google came out, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. The, the question was, was this going to make students lazy? Were they, you know, not going to be able to produce their own original content anymore because they could just search the Internet to get that? And I think the same question is today. What What is AI going to do for schooling? What is it going to do for the workplace? But I, I think um, what it will do is make us even better and more efficient at generating um, uh, uh, good content and 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 uh, essays and, and things like that, um, we're going to have to change the way that we teach, and we're going to have to change the way that we work. It ca- can't be just the case of now doing uh, a 500-word essay. We're going to have to um, evolve our schooling to keep up with this, the same way that it did evolve when Google came out. And students could almost immediately call up any information that they, they they needed. They did not need to go to the library anymore. They could pull it up on Google. That didn't mean the end of schooling. That didn't mean that everyone suddenly got very lazy. It just meant that the bar was raised in terms of what teachers expected out of students in terms of content and what they produced. And I think the, the bar is going to be raised again, whether in the education uh, arena or in the workplace, people are going to expect more. They're not going to expect generic content. They're going to expect much better, richer 
more well-informed uh, uh, content, um, uh, you know, and uh, et cetera. So let's go back to that 500-word essay yeah. on Shakespeare. So I asked Chatbot GP to write that for me, which it will do within less than a minute. How can I enrich that as a student? You're talking about raising the bar. Mm. How, how could that bar be raised then? Well, well uh, by using different prompts on, on ChatGPT and on other tools, similar tools. So in the same way that we learned how to search Google and search it with better terms and use better search criteria in the way that we to find the content that we needed to what people are going to need to learn is how to get the best out of these ar bots so for instance typing into chat gpt when we talk about the prompt it's what you type into it to get the result as we learn how to work with ar we're going to have to improve the way that uh, that we interact with it and we're going to we, are we going to be measured on on the value that we're able to extract out of that AR tool? So again, the bar is being raised. You aren't going to be get away with just saying, write me a 500 word uh, essay on Shakespeare. You're going to have to prompt it with different things in order to get, uh, you know, uh, a, a better outcome and something that the teacher is going to mark you, uh, Highly on, but I must say that 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 the that the, that the world where a student would just write this from scratch is fast coming to an end, and uh, you know it's just a reality. Um, Bill Gates said that it's going to teach us to communicate with each other better. How can that work, Richard? Uh, I, I don't know how what Bill Gates was thinking when he said that, but I can imagine um, that first of all, uh, what AR does is it writes in grammatically correct sentences without spelling mistakes. Um, so, so immediately, um, if you use a tool like Grammarly, um, you are actually using AI already to improve your punctuation, your spelling, your ability to communicate your ideas. To other people, um, AI is going to assist you in doing that. Um, so, so, so communication um, yeah, will improve. But again, I think it's important that we realise that uh, you you will have to prompt the AI correctly. If you if you don't give it the right information, it's not going to spit back to you the you know a a a, a very classy sentence. Let's put it that way. Okay. So again, just. Listening to what you say, going back to that essay on Shakespeare, I would want to put in something like what tragic aspects does Shakespeare touch upon in Hamlet? So I've got to refine my search. Yes, that's correct. And you can, of course, with ChatGPT, um, you can, uh, it, once it gives you a response, you can refine it. So you can say, well, you know, that essay was a bit too formal. Can you make it a little bit informal? Can you write it in Cockney? Can you write it as a pirate? There have been some really funny examples um, on the web, what people have done with it. But you can refine the response and you go through a series of prompts in order to get the result that that that, that you need. And this is the same not only for text, um, we haven't really touched on images yet, but the similar thing, uh, there's a, a tool called uh, DAL-E, 
which is built by the same people who created uh, uh, ChatGPT. And there's another one called MidJourney. And they work the similar way, except they use images. So you can ask for a specific image to be generated, and it will generate that image for you. And it can be the most radical image, anything <laughs> that, that you can think of. Is that Dundee like the Scottish town? How do you spell that? D-A-L-L hyphen E. D-A-L-L hyphen E. That's correct. Okay. Well, yeah, you just search that on Google, you'll find it. Okay. I haven't used that yet. Now, should there are people listening perhaps who may be gone to Facebook or or maybe occasionally do a tweet, but think, oh, oh, this AI is so above my head, I'm never going to be able to use it. What would you say to people like that? Well, I would ask, have you ever communicated with somebody on, on WhatsApp? Have you ever sent an email? Because this is a very similar process. It's a chat tool. So you just type into it, uh, as you say, give me a 500 word essay, uh, uh, please give me an image of a, of a lion eating a buffalo. It can produce, um, anything that you want by just using your natural language. Um, so if you've ever Googled or, you know, if, if you, if you've ever used the chat bot in any sense or even chatted to somebody on WhatsApp, it's exactly the same, uh, uh, approach. And that is why um, this tool just took the world by storm, and, and around November last year, they already have over 100 million users. It's one of the biggest, I mean, it's surpassing some of the social networks and how many people are using this on a daily basis. And when chat GPT goes down or the servers don't work, um, people start to realize how dependent they are on this. They're using it in their daily lives in order to produce content, in order to code, in order to do, um, you know, various tasks. So it's really incredible how in just the last uh, four or five months, um, everyone has started to become dependent on this in order to uh, use it in their daily lives. Now, let's come to travel. How is this going to change the way we travel? Well, I mean, I think AI has already been part of, of travel in, in many ways and probably under the, under the radar. Like nobody would really know that, that, that the passing algorithms in, uh, in, in, in airline ticketing, um, are, are AI. There's machine learning that's going, uh, you know, um, you know, going into it. Um, so AI has already been part of travel for a long time. I, I, I would think um, it's only going to um, increase. Um, but, but Kate, I can't, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than maybe getting better pricing, uh, being more predictive in terms of what your passenger numbers are going to be on the plane. Um, but I'm sure there are a million use cases for it. But, well, I suppose if I wanted to go to Tel Aviv, for example, I wanted to go to Jerusalem or I wanted to go to New Delhi or Mumbai, I would just type in uh, which is the best airline, which is the quick quickest route, what are the best things to do in New Delhi? Yes, and instead of it returning, so let's let's take the two examples. Let's say uh, ten things to do in Delhi. You could either type them to Google, and you'll get a series of responses. Um, but there would be different blog articles or uh, articles telling you about the top things to do in New Delhi. Or you can type it into ChatGPT, and ChatGPT has distilled again 
billions and billions and billions of words from every book imaginable, from every website imaginable, from Wikipedia, and taken all of that knowledge and put it um, into um, its text corpus of information, and it can synthesize this information into a bulleted list for you. And that list is unique. It's not coming from a website. It's completely generated unique. And if you, if you, uh, if you then ask it tomorrow, it may give you different information worded in a different way. It is, it is a point in time. It will give you a completely unique answer for you. Jill, it is amazing. And Richard, you touched very, very quickly earlier on about its limitations. What, what, what? generally speaking, well, would be the limitations. Uh, well, I think, I mean, coming back to the original point that it's a pre-trained model. So, and we've just had the re- release of the new version of ChatGPT, which is based on the GPT-4 model. So before it was GPT-3, you could call this a version upgrade, you know, 3.0, now it's 4.0. Um, and, but what's important to realize is these are, both of them, and this new one included, are pre-trained on a set of data. So, for instance, um, I can speak to GPT-3 because GPT-4 has just come out, but GPT-3 was locked in 2021. That was when the model was created. So all the information that was within it was, it only knew about anything up to the end of 2021. You could not get any information out of it that was more recent. So with these pre-trained models, they do have an incredible amount of information, but some of them don't have the current information. And then, of course, there are protections that are laid out. Like you can't ask it about current figures or people because the creators of the model are concerned that it could return incorrect results about people. Um, and it could, uh, yeah, it, it could cause, you know, a, a level of abuse. Um, with with the content. So there are limitations that they put into it to try and restrict the model uh, from returning bad or incorrect information. And that's why human trainers are really important to train the model to be correct. Um, And so there are limitations to it. Um, It does only have that information. And the other thing I'd like to point out is that uh, the chat GPT system is a statistical modeling system. So what it does is when it's writing an answer to to you, it's using probability to determine what the next word should be. So you could think of it like we're speaking right now. I'm thinking about the next word that makes sense in a sentence as I'm as I'm talking. The same thing is what is what's happening with ChatGPT using a very similar model to the way that my brain works. It thinks about the next word. What is the next word that is uh, most likely to come after the previous word? Um, and and so it it has no real understanding. It it it, it is a, a statistically it's a pro- probability tool, and so sometimes it's completely incorrect. And it's very authoritative. Like I would imagine when you when you looked up that essay about Shakespeare, how it's completely uh, uh, believes that it's accurate. Like the writing is very um, assertive. It's uh, you know it, it 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 really is confident in its responses, and you can't get tricked into a false sense of security um, to think that everything that it's saying is accurate. But there are documented cases where uh, where it gets things. Um, completely wrong and uh and will tell you that the date today um uh, is three months ago or last year um you know like crazy things like that that are completely factually 
inaccurate. So it does have limitations and people should use it with caution, uh, you know, in, 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 in their work because it can spit out false information. And how would I recognize that false information or wouldn't I? Well, exactly. So, so some of the detractors of ChatGPT say, well, it's only as good as the person reading the content because we can be astounded. Um, you know, Kate, uh, you, you, you probably read a lot of Shakespeare. So when you read the essay, you can tell that that content, uh, is correct or incorrect. But if you weren't there, um, you know, there's no inherent, um, understanding that the chat GPT model has. Um, so we can't verify that it's correct unless we have an expert verifying it. So it's a bit of a catch-22 at the moment in terms of it's only as good as the person reading it. And you can often spot um, 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 errors in it. But if you're a high school student and you're just trying to get away with submitting a, 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 a essay without having to write it, you're probably going to get into trouble the same way as you would have uh, when plagiarizing content and copying and pasting it from, from the internet. There would be something about it that the teacher would realize is not your, your, not your writing, either because of a factual error or just because of the way that it's written. I mean, I think everyone who's used these tools can tell already the, the kind of uh, language nuance that the, the, the that the model uses. Um, it is getting better, though. I must say, this new model that's come out um, has been uh, is vastly improved on the previous one, and a little bit more scary in terms of what it can produce um, versus uh, the the human uh, the uh, human writing the same content. It, I mean, it, it, it's the most wonderful research tool. I mean, I, I go back so far as all my research was done in a school or a university library and you had to go and get out a book or you had encyclopedias at home. Just before we started chatting, just before I started the program, I typed in Please, what is DNA in layperson's language? And I got back a very, very simple answer about the double helix, and it just told me it's a recipe for uh, building life. Very, very, very simplistic, but really helping me to understand very difficult uh, concepts. But it's quite interesting. The New York Times about a couple of weeks ago uh, gave you a quiz. They 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 um, printed six pieces of writing. Three were AI and three were real people. And they asked you to guess. And I must say, giving myself a pat on the back, I guessed the ones that were written by AI. Why? Because it comes back to what you said. It's soulless. There's something, it's the human element that is lacking, maybe. Maybe yes. that. I would, I would say uh, if you look at the writing, there, there's a lack of um, uh, humor uh, in, in some of it as well. You know, there, there's just um, – and some of some journalists have used this device in their articles to talk about – um, to talk about AI. So they'll start off their article by using something that's uh, generated by ChatGPT, or they'll start their broadcast. Maybe at the end, Kate, you'll say, by the way, my Bill Gates um, quote was actually generated by, by, by ChatGPT. But you can often tell that, uh, you can often tell that the, um, 
that the item uh, is generated. Just because your eyes start glazing over when you're reading it. It's kind of boring. It's kind of soulless. It doesn't have that sense of humor that a lot of writers have. Um, you can just tell that it's, but, but I, I wouldn't bet against the models getting better. I, I wouldn't bet against it. I think, um, as writers and journalists, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there is a real challenge here for what AR can bring in the next, uh, five to 10 years. Well, that, that was going to be my final question. The future. Will we all be finally sitting in our own little spaces encased in virtual reality, just talking to a chatbot? That's quite a scary future. Yes, I, I really, I really hope not. Um, I can see the potential of AR to really be transformative in the way, um, for instance, that we deal with issues like climate change. Um, you know, some of the big, the big challenges that we have in society, but it can also be used for, for, for things like war. I mean, if you've just seen the, the, the way, uh, robots are being used in the latest, uh, uh war between, uh, Russia and Ukraine, drones, um, you know, these are all robotic. Um, and, uh, and AR is only going to improve the ability of, people to um, use it both for good and for evil. So it, 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 we, we, we wait to see uh, how this will play out. Um, but a really exciting time uh, for humanity. Um, some are likening it to the, 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 you know, the, the, the invention of the printing press. And it really might be that level of quantum leap between uh, what we had before and what we're going to have in the future. Thank you so much. There you go. That's uh, Richard Frank from Flow Communications. Let me give you that website again. It's chat.openai, or lowercase.com, chatopenai.com. And, Richard, just give us that um, image uh, website again. So it's created by the same people as uh, OpenAR. So you can just visit OpenAR.com and click on the link for DAL-E, D-L-A-L-L hyphen E. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9, it's time now on Travels with Kate to talk about books because this is when we always talk about all kinds of books. I'm an omnivorous reader. I can read most uh, stuff. And I even tried, you may remember a couple of weeks ago or more, we were talking, somebody, Mika, from Jonathan Cape about the TikTok books and how the romance novels 
on TikTok, uh, on BookTok, it's called, you go to TikTok, then go to BookTok, have absolutely dominated the market. And I was talking to a 16-year-old granddaughter about one of them. She said, oh, Granny, it's not great literature, but she said, I actually really enjoyed it. And she said the characters, they're a bit pacebook, but she said it's a great relief from uh, studying. So those talks, as re- those books as recommended on BookTok, on TikTok, if you've got teenagers or you yourself love light romantic fiction, that's the, that's the way to, that's the way to look at some of the titles. But I've got a book for you today. It's called It's a Continent. It's a Continent. And the subtitle is Unraveling Africa's History one country at a time. And it's by Astrid Madimba and Chini Ukata. And you may remember, and, and you know yourself, how many people think Africa, particularly ignorant people or people who don't know Africa or people who don't know travel, they think Africa is a country. It's a country. How many times, to me, I've had it said, oh, I've got a cousin in Nairobi, you must just pop in, or I know somebody in Lagos. (laughs) Africa is a continent, and that's what the book is called. It's a continent. And the authors, the two young women who have authored the book, uh, I'm just looking at it. It's published by coronet but you'll find it you'll find it in the in good bookshops the young authors two young women are co-founders and they're hosts of it's a continent which is a podcast and it's been going quite a while now it focuses on african history and current affairs and in fact in 2020 just three years ago their podcast was recognized as the 25th most popular history podcast in the world. That's pretty, pretty good uh, going. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these two young women. Chinia Carter and Astrid Mandimba, they met when they were doing an internship a few years ago, and they were living together in the UK at the time, and they were bonding. They both loved documentaries and history, and they remained in touch after they'd stopped living with one another. But even before they'd met, they'd both been very dissatisfied with their very little exposure to African history growing up in the uh, UK. And they learnt from their families about African history. Ukata, for example, uh, Chini Ukata, who's British Nigerian, she, she said that she sensed a vacuum in her education because she found out that Britain played a much bigger role in the Biafran War in the 60s, that terrible civil war in Nigeria that to this day they don't know how many millions of lives uh, were lost. Very, putting it very simply, the Nigeria discovered oil. The oil was in one province in the southeast. Now, of course, the rest of Nigeria wants it. This was shortly after independence. Biafra said it was theirs. Problem was, Biafra, the name they gave to the state, 
was a landlocked state, so they had no access, well, very little access to the sea, only through one town, Port Harcourt, and they declared UDI and said they wanted to be their own country. Wrong, 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 because the rest of Nigeria raised arms against them, and apparently, according to uh, Carter in her new book, supplied Britain supplied arms and ammunition against the buy from rebels, and millions, particularly children, starved to death because they were cut off. They were besieged in that landlocked uh, state, and Madimba, um, Ashley Madimba, she had grown up in the uh, Democratic Republic. Republic of Congo, which I think is such a misnomer, because anything less like a democracy in the Congo you couldn't possibly imagine. That's a personal opinion and just an alleged, uh, alleged detail from me. Anyway, they sat together, they got together finally, and they planned a podcast retelling African history. And then they signed up. Apparently, I didn't even know you can do it. You can sign up online for a podcasting masterclass. By the way, if you go to the Constitution Court in Johannesburg or, or several others of our uh, um, tourist destinations, visitor destinations, you can get audios. You can get audio guides and you can get podcasts for yourself. Anyway, they launched this book just before lockdown in 2020. What happened? It became a textbook almost in classrooms across Europe. And the Guardian newspaper, a very respectable British newspaper, um, claimed it was one of the best African broadcasts at the time. And the book asks, and the girls ask, because they are young women, they are wonderful young women, they ask, why is Africa still perceived as a country when there are around 2,000 languages spoken on the continent alone? That's 2,000 that we know of. There may be other languages we don't know. And with the amount and quality of arts, like literature and film and music out of the continent, why does this misconception that Africa is a country exists in the West? So that's what the book is about. And it takes all the countries of Africa. I'm just, I can never remember, is it 53 or 54 different countries in Africa? I think it's 53 that belong to the African Union. And that one in the uh, west, the desert state, up from Mauritania, doesn't belong to uh, the African Union. So you can look at, you can look at a chapter on everything from Essatwini, and the world's longest-serving monarch now, because Queen Elizabeth of the UK is, is dead, Eritrea, how that survived Ethiopia's colonization, Tunisia, wonderful place to visit, by the way, Tunisia, with some of the best Roman remains in the world. But they look at how Tunisia was a force against 
the Roman Empire. So really they are telling us things that certainly I didn't know about. And I, I want to just come to Namibia for a moment because you've heard me talking about it before. It's one of my favorite uh, countries. Um, they entitled their chapter Namibia's Forgotten Genocide. Well, I think the genocide is much better known now. But remember, Namibia is one of the biggest countries in Africa. It's twice the size of Germany. Think about that, Namibia. It's twice the size of Germany. But many of the ideas during colonial times when the Germans were there actually fueled the Holocaust. The confinement and the extermination of people actually began at Herero and Nama in uh, Namibia. And that word Lebensraum, which translates as living space, meant Germany had a very, very um, expensive stance, shall we say. Uh, they wanted territory. I mean, how many wars? I don't think wars are about religion or people or ethics. They're usually about uh, territory. So putting this into perspective, as I say, Namibia had a land mass more than twice the size of Germany. And, of course, as a result, the Herero people lost huge amounts of land, huge amounts of land, which they've never got back to the uh, German colonial um, government. And then, even worse, there, the German emperor at the time appointed as commander-in-chief a really, really wicked guy called Lothar von Trotter. Von Trotter. He was a specialist in oppression. These, all these stories in the uh, book, because he was a veteran of wars in German East Africa, that was Tanganyika, now Tanzania, and the Boxer Rebellion in China. So the German colonial army went about this program of ruthlessly exterminating the locals. They called the indigenous people non-humane. And here was the foreshadowing of the Holocaust to come because von Trotter gave an annihilation order, actually an, an uh, annihilation order for the killing of all Herero people. I mean, it, it's, it's really unthinkable, really unthinkable. Then, not only do, did they do that, he came up with a new, um, a new idea. My German isn't get great called concentration, concentrations lager. What's that? A concentration camp. So the camps in what was German West Africa, German Africa, uh, were built in Ludenta and Fintok. And about 75% of Herero people, 50% of Nama people died in that genocide. There was even an island 
comparable in a way to Shark Island, except they exterminated people on it, called Shark Island, most notorious concentration camp. It was a barren island with desert, strong winds, and they used the slave labour to um, benefit the Germans. And when the, the UN finally acknowledged the genocide, it was only in 1985 that they actually acknowledged the genocide. Um, all the German president did was issue an apology. Phew. I mean, that's, that's just one chapter and some of the stories they talk about in this quite remarkable book. If you've got students of any kind in your house or in your media at all, or if you want a reference book for yourself about countries in Africa, get hold of this. It's a continent unraveling Africa's history one country at a time by Astrid Madimba and Ginny Carter. And I'm just looking at the index here. Everything from Botswana to Lesotho to Zambia to the Gambia. By the way, the Gambia, this is a very good quiz question. What's the smallest land uh, country? What's the smallest country in Africa? We're not talking about the islands. And the answer is the Gambia. If you take the islands in, it's actually the Seychelles. But the Gambia, Senegal, Gabon, every all our countries, with the exception, I think, of one, are in this book. gives you a history from an African point of view. And it's not biased. It's told fairly great journalistic uh, discretion, but a very, very useful book. I'm keeping it. I don't give that, I don't give that book away to anybody. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Um, lots of lights, uh, lots of love, look after yourselves, travel safely, and as I always say, don't only look after yourselves, look after other people too. Thanks to Uzi, my controller, and Harry, my producer, and we'll be back next Sunday at 12. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart. The adventure starts here.